The Echo Chamber, brought to you by The Homes Report and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers. Sponsored by The Bullet Group, putting you in tomorrow's conversations today. Hi everyone and welcome to the Echo Chamber. I'm Maya Pavinska-Sims, the EMEA editor of The Homes Report and I'm joined today by our CEO and editor-in-chief, Arun Sudarman, our man on the ground in Hong Kong. Hi Arun, how are you today? I'm very well, Maya. Um, it's a Friday, Yay. so that's good. Uh, how are you? I'm okay, I'm very glad it's Friday. Hashtag Fry-yay, as they say on the Twitter. Yeah. Um, so we're going to we're going to talk about the Hong Kong leadership's attempt to try and find a PR agency to sort out its reputation in the light of well months now of unrest in the city. Mm. Um, this is a huge story you broke last week, which has since been picked up by the mainstream media around the world, including the BBC. Um, so the Information Services Department approached apparently a number of PR agencies with a brief, a reputation management campaign brief. And everybody turned it down. What was what was in that brief? Well, I can tell you exactly what was in the brief because, as you know, we have the brief. We have the brief. Um, it's 72 pages long. Wow. Uh, and as far as I can tell, only two of the 72 pages carry any actual information on the public relations assignment um, and what's required. What's the rest of the it? other 70 pages seems to be stuff like you know that stuff you see in contracts where it's like this is what this word means <laughs> the legal speak the legal stuff that's there's a lot of legal stuff mm. i mean I, you get this in a lot of briefs but i've never seen anything like this like a two out of 72 page ratio of signal to noise so it's like one out of 41 yeah i mean that's sorry not one out of 41 one out of 36 even but that's just yeah, and maybe that says something about the Hong Kong government. But um, what's in the brief is a a sort of uh, description of the challenge Hong Kong is facing, um, which they call background, which is, I thought was interesting because I would say it's foreground. But anyway, yeah, um, it says that uh, protests have attracted widespread international attention. Hong Kong's image has been affected locally and abroad. Uh, governance and the implementation of one country, two systems has come under the spotlight. It talks about the concerns to Hong Kong's positioning as a global business and financial hub with a stable environment underpinned by the rule of law. Uh, and then there's, it says there's a more acute concern um, is the effect the protests may have on perceptions about personal safety for business travellers, trade shows, exhibitions and tourists. Okay. Um, so that's the background. It has two objectives. Uh, address negative perceptions in key markets overseas to maintain confidence in Hong Kong and underscore the strengths and attributes that differentiate Hong Kong from other cities in the region and bring out the success of one country, two systems. Mm. And then there's some stuff on target audiences, scope of services, key markets, um, date of service delivery so they wanted the they wanted the campaign to start uh, I think at the end of the year by the end of the year fourth quarter um, I say third or fourth quarter but the turnaround timings are interesting because they the briefing so this, this document came out then the um, 
there was an in-person briefing eight days later uh, and they wanted proposals sent in a week after that up to the in-person briefing so it's quite short turnaround yeah but it's not like it was christmas so i don't, I don't think the so, industry should be complaining so so far this is like you know fairly standard reputation management campaign brief why has everyone turned it down why is this so toxic um, because it's Hong Kong and it's the Hong Kong government and it's extremely tricky for agencies right now. Uh, and I think probably the best way to describe it is that it's an assignment that for global PR firms at least is more trouble than it's worth. Um, and if we start at the end of that phrase, how much is it worth? Mm. I mean, budgets... Uh, are, were our concern uh, at least one of the agency heads involved has mentioned that to me I don't know if budgets were actually discussed at the in-person briefing but I think there was a concern over that but even notwithstanding budgets I think the level of trouble associated with this kind of assignment would have made it very difficult to handle unless budgets were really really you know astronomical mm. um, so eight firms got the brief I think five turned it down off the bat, three went to the briefing, one dropped out right after the briefing, uh, and then two more never submitted quotes. And we know the three that went to the briefing um, were Ruda Finn, Ogilvy and Brunswick. And what sort of responses, you've spoken to agent, uh, almost all the agency heads, I think, involved in the, in the initial... Um briefing what what sort of responses have you been getting off the record from them so in terms of why they turned it down yeah. um, and why you know this assignment is perceived as being more difficult than it's worth i think you have to start with um the concerns around employee activism something that you and i have discussed before mm -hmm. at length both in the context of hong kong uh, and in the context of other kind of controversial assignments, I think Ogilvy and the Customs and Border Protection, Edelman and Geo Group, most uh, of these global PR firms, if not well, all of these global PR firms, are largely comprised of um, young Hong Kong employees, many of whom um, are the kind of core demographic for these protests. Yeah. Uh, um, I was at an agency event yesterday, and two agencies were there, and I asked them, and they said they are not... They don't really know for sure, but they're pretty sure that most of their staff are out protesting. <laughs> so, right, okay. um, you know, that, that's difficult to manage if, uh, if you're working for a client that your employee base is, is mm. so at odds with and would take a very dim view of. Um, so I think that's the number one concern. I think, secondly, uh, clients would ask questions about your judgment and taking on a, an assignment like this. It attracts attention. It's the kind of attention that agencies just hate. You know, we've seen this with Ketchum and Russia. We saw it with Edelman and the oil lobby. Mm -hmm. um, we've seen it with Bell, with, uh, Bell Pottinger and, and numerous instances, although Bell Pottinger didn't ever seem to dislike the attention, um, at least when Lord Bell was in charge. But certainly for clients of, of a particular agency, they would take a dim view of being grouped in with an agency that maybe was taking on a controversial assignment. Um, the presence of Beijing is also a thorny topic. Um, you know, an, an assignment of this nature, 
which is attempting to bring out the success of one country, two systems, would certainly attract attention uh, in the ultimate corridors of power. Uh, and all of these global PR firms, we can't forget having extensive interests on the mainland yes, in Beijing and, and Shanghai and Shenzhen. And if this campaign were to unfold in a less than positive fashion or if, you know, if things didn't go swimmingly, which is very, you know, I think a very high uh, possibility outcome, um, it, might, it might impact uh, an agency's activities, you know, in, in those Chinese cities as well. Is this a, um, is this an is there an ethical di- you haven't mentioned ethics here I mean we are we're yeah. the post Bell Pottinger era of public relations we are led to believe where everybody's mm. much more concerned about uh, acting in a in a way that is ethical in terms of all those things you've just discussed um, mm-hmm. do you, uh, is there anyone out there who would take is that is that true are there firms who would take this on if it it wasn't seen to be such a hassle for them yeah. I think there are loads. I, mean, I think there are loads of firms, not loads maybe, but I think there are firms who are probably contacting the ISD as we speak. I, th- I would totally agree with uh, you, actually. I've had, a, I've had at yeah. least one WhatsApp this week from somebody saying I'd take that on. <laughs> yeah. Oh, really? Okay, oh, yeah. well... Yeah. Uh, it's not... Yeah, I, no, me too. I just had one earlier today from someone. Um, and, and, you know, that, they, those may be firms that don't have a, an office in Hong Kong or operations in yeah. China. Um now, it, it's a really interesting question you ask, because obviously, you know, we, we are told repeatedly that ethical considerations now suddenly reign supreme in this kind of brave new sunlit upland yes. that we're living in. Um, and there's two elements to this, I think. The first is that, uh, yes, I think there were concerns, you know, so beyond the, these sort of considerations around employees and clients and operations, I think the brief raised some serious misgivings um, about whether this would actually actually substantively address Hong Kong's uh, problems. Yeah. You know, I, I think you can certainly make the case in public re- that good public relations can help here um, because it would uh, help the Hong Kong government understand its stakeholders better, mm. rebuild relationships, rebuild trust. And that should ultimately that will lead help deliver better policy. And that is always, I think, as, as something you know that Paul Holmes has written about at length, that, that has always got to be the kind of ultimate goal for public public relations. Um, but this brief doesn't suggest that any of that no. is the case. It actually looks like the kind of proverbial putting lipstick on a pig type of situation. Love that expression. It's it's really interesting, um, isn't it? That there's such a, there's a there's a huge difference, which is you know mm-hmm. painfully clear here between a. PR campaign that is effectively asking, requiring some, uh, the dark arts of spin and mm-hmm. genuine listening to expert counsel quietly and, um, and yeah. acting on that. There's a huge difference in this campaign is that, you know, this brief is definitely the former rather than the latter. Absolutely. And, you know, I don't know, I don't know if I'd go as far as to, as to call this dark arts necessarily. I mean, I don't think they're, they're going to be setting up fake Wikipedia pages Never um, know. necessarily, <laughs> but it's certainly the kind of campaign that, that makes you think actually, so what they want to do is demonstrate that everything in Hong Kong is great mm. uh, and that one country and two systems is, is a success. And neither of those things is true. And as you know, any good public relations strategy is only as good as the facts on the ground. Yeah. Um, and so you're, you're kind of being asked to, to act in opposition to the facts if you can do, if you can actually consult 
in a way that changes the facts on the ground, that's a different situation. But, you know, as, as, as more than one agency said to me, the brief, there's nothing in the brief that suggests you're going to have high-level strategic access to yeah. the people that matter. You're going to be working with a client that is already caught between, you know, a range of masters, let's say. Um, and I think there's also a view, which I'm not sure I totally agree with, but there's certainly a view among some of the agencies that this this is not a PR problem, this is a political problem or mm -hmm. a policy problem. I, I have always had issues with that kind of formulation um, because I, I don't think I've ever seen a situation, whether it's business or political, that couldn't benefit from good public relations advice. Yeah. But there um, doesn't seem to be any guarantee that, that advice is what's required here. Right, exactly. And that, that's the problem. But I do think when, when I see a lot of PR people and comms people saying, saying that, using that formulation, this is not a PR problem, um, it's almost like they're trying to divulge themselves for responsibility um, for, you know, things that might actually matter, What's um, which may be a little harsh, but, um, you know, it, I just think PR people should be trying, I think, to, to make a difference on, on the biggest issues um, rather than necessarily just saying, OK, this is not our problem. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. It's a, but it's about the. I mean, there's clearly a sense that the level of influence you'd actually have yeah. in this case is yeah. influence, timings, budgets, yeah. employees, clients, um, the, and the scope of the brief. I think are all, uh, all conspire to kind of create that conclusion. And it's really difficult to disagree with that conclusion. And in that kind of situation, you can't deliver the kind of robust, sophisticated public relations advice that could actually shift policy um, and, and, and change reputation. Um, and then the other point I wanted to make, just going back to your question about ethics. I mean, what, what are ethics really? You know, I, these are all pragmatic considerations, but you know that that kind of to me that is what ethics is. Well, it's really. doing the right thing, isn't it? It's having a sense yes. that you're not being the bad guy in this situation, right? But you only, I mean, but people do the right thing because there's a cost to doing the wrong thing. Yeah, well, that's but that's a very cynical but true, isn't it? But the cost, I, I think, it's more than that. Ethics is is more than. It's more than a transactional consideration, isn't it? It's that it, it's kind of a bit more bone deep than that, I think, isn't it? That you're, you, you know that this is maybe a situation where you're not going to, you're not going to be, a, even if you're doing your best work, you're not going to be able to affect things that are good on a societal or community or political level. It feels a bit like you're right. not going to have Carrie Lamb's ear here. This is not going but to that's change a cost, policy. Is it not? I mean, I think. You know, you treat people well, I think, because there's a cost to not doing so to them and ultimately to you as well. I mean, I, I don't know. I just, I, yeah, I think eh, these are pragmatic considerations, but I think when you, I think that is kind of what, what, what adds up to what we describe as ethics. Maybe that is a bit cynical. I don't know. But if you're asking me whether agencies are more um, motivated by altruism them by pragmatism i would always go for the latter well particularly when you're talking about big global agencies you know the cost the cost of getting this wrong and being exposed as 
having been involved in something that does unfold in a negative way is just it's just too much isn't it the, the sums whichever whatever your um however you're measuring it the sums do not add up whether in you know yeah. human terms or financial terms or reputational terms um and also in terms of the perception of the pr industry as well you know, just yeah but no one cares about that do they not really no no, I don't think so. I mean, I don't think any agency turns down an assignment because they're worried about the reputation of the industry. They're worried about their own reputation, um, and they're worried about the reputation of their agency. I think. Just look at. But so do you really think that they they worry about? I mean, I think it, I think there are many agencies out there that would be quite happy to be seen as more ethical than the rest of the industry. Uh, yeah, but I think I think it's I think it's I think the I think agent individual agencies are concerned about the reputation of the business. I and mean, there's so much navel gazing goes on, which we've discussed like at length about how PR is seen and how PR itself is perceived. I mean, it's you know it's quite circular. Um, I mean, I don't, I'm not saying that's a consideration in this specific case, but I think we I think yeah, I do think individual agencies are concerned about the perceptions of the. the the business mm. they operate i'm not convinced i actually think it's a benefit to agency x if if the industry is seen as being as less ethical as they are well yeah because there's a lot of crowing over bell pottinger wasn't there really i mean for all yeah. that the industry is is much more ethical than that it was yeah it was kind of competitive yeah. ethics and um, let's just yeah. rewind a bit into we're talking about reputation and um look at the issues the the, the hong kong leadership is facing. Mm. I mean, they've outlined in terms of their global brand image, if you like. I mean, they've outlined in two very short sentences that the 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 in the brief that this is partly driven by worries about perceptions of Hong Kong outside the city. What? Yeah. What? What other issues? I mean, you're there on the ground. What do you think the the issues are with Hong Kong's reputation now on the global stage? Um, well, it's. Uh, it's... <laughs> It's suffering, let's say. Uh, I think any time you have these images, alarming images of um, of fires breaking out across the city, of you know, there's been a, a definitely an uptick in levels of violence. Um, protesters lobbing Molotov cocktails, videos of police brutality. Mm. Uh, Hong Kong's reputation is. It's taken a battering, I think you'd have to say, and, and the numbers bear it out. I mean, the, the the August visitor arrivals, I think, were down twelve percent. Cathay Pacific's, that's the overall city. Cathay Pacific alone was down thirty-eight percent. Ouch. Um, there's a lot of stats about how various businesses in the city are suffering, many of which are dependent on tourism and business tourism, and and it, Hong Kong's reputation as we've talked about before, is built around, you know, being this global business hub, yeah. um, which which actually the brief, I think, describes really well. Um, and so, understandably, the government is very worried about that. Um, but they're looking at it the wrong way around, aren't they? They, they? they seem to think they can fix the reputation by coming up with a sort of campaign to reassure you know businesses overseas and investors and so on yeah um when actually the only way to fix a reputation is is to to address the underlying problems yeah um 
but it's it's a real problem for Hong Kong. There's no question. You know, it's going to require one of the people I, I spoke to, one of the agency heads, familiar with the situation, as we say, as, say, as we say, uh, said that the reputation damage from this is almost existential mm. uh, and will require a fundamental relaunch, reboot, and rebrand. Um, and I think that's true, but. The, the, the reputation damage is a result of the sort of wanton negligence that has characterized Hong Kong's leadership for the last 20 years. Yeah, I mean, it's not accidental. It's not It's not unfortunate that somehow its reputation has kind of slipped. Uh, it's, it's, it's as a no. result of actions that have been taken or not taken. Absolutely, yeah. So, I mean, again, that, that, those those sort of fundamental elements of Hong Kong's reputation, which you would say are um, its sort of its tireless entrepreneurial workforce, world-class infrastructure, rule of law, and its enviable location in the Pearl River Delta, each of those has kind of eroded and been undermined over the last, let's say, 10 to 15 years. Um, And so those all need to be addressed. Um, if 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 the city is serious about rebuilding its global reputation, yeah, uh, and of course it's a competitive sport, um, nation branding. Um, yeah. So you know, whilst Hong Kong declines, that means that businesses will look elsewhere. I mean, is it a zero sum game? I'm not sure, but it's definitely competitive. So who's Definitely. who's benefiting from Hong Kong's reputation taking such a battering? Is Singapore the primary beneficiary here? Yes, I think Singapore is 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 the prime, like as you put it, the primary beneficiary, um, and they have the benefit of of vision, a kind mm. of political vision that Hong Kong lacks. Um, but then, you know, I, I think other Asian cities are also benefiting, I think, um, for, for different reasons, actually. I think Shanghai has definitely benefited. I think Taipei is benefiting as well. In what, um, in what way? I don't know those two cities. What, how are they benefiting? Uh, well, they're, they're just becoming a much more attractive hub mm. for businesses. Um, and, and, yeah, I don't want to get too into the weeds in terms of what each of them offers and represents, but they are now credible alternatives, mm. I think, to Hong Kong. I mean, let's let's be fair to Hong Kong. It still has the second or third biggest stock market in the world, depending on how you measure it. It is still a, you know, one of the global economic centers, still one of the top choices for where people want to put their money and invest their money. Um, and it is still headquarters for a lot of businesses. Um, and that hasn't really changed yet. Mm. You know, the, the the declines we've seen have all been, I guess, to to areas where you would see a decline first, tourism, retail. Um, if anything were to happen to things like the stock market or uh, in terms of businesses moving out of the city, um, you know, then you would really know that that Hong Kong is starting to suffer. Do you think it? Do you think things will get worse? Oh, have we reached rock bottom yet? 
No, I don't think we've reached rock bottom. I mean, I, I don't know, ultimately, but I don't think anyone knows. But for, for all of us here, I don't think any of us feel like we've, yeah, we've, we've hit rock bottom and we're on we're on the way back. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's just really difficult to, to say. But with National Day approaching in a couple of weeks, I think, or maybe even less than that, uh, you can certainly see things getting worse. Mm. Do you think it's, it must be so weird living in, you know, kind of living through this and seeing firsthand how, how that shift in, you know, in something as, uh, as kind of intangible as reputation is, is manifesting itself on the ground and changing things in the city itself. It's very interesting to live through it. I always wonder whether our view here is somewhat warped because we are living through it. Um, or is it more realistic? Because, you know, I I sometimes wonder if the view globally, externally, is, is warped. Um, but then, you know, perception is reality. So whatever people think of Hong Kong is kind of what Hong Kong's reputation is right now. Yeah, no, that's true. Um, and, you know, everyone is cancelling travel. Mm. Uh, all the, <laughs> Trevor Noah cancelled. Matilda, the musical, cancelled, which is very disappointing. Oh, I bet you're devastated um, about that. And, you know, I'm hearing about agencies just as one type of business talking about moving their staff out, maybe to Singapore for a while. Um, so you're starting to see all these kind of contingency plans come into play. Um, lots of people in Hong Kong would would tell you all of this. All of that is just alarmist and um, out of proportion. Mm. Uh, but you know, you can't. Yeah, I just don't think you can second guess perceptions that people have necessarily. So if Carrie Lam called you this afternoon and said <laughs> she's got your cell phone number and she says, Irene, what do I need to do? <laughs> what advice would well, you give her? I'm fairly sure she'd strongly condemn me first. <laughs> but she, you know, she's listening. She really wants to know what advice you're going to give her. She, she's listening. She has a, <laughs> she has a dialogue platform. When is the dialogue platform? It's taking place at a big stadium, but only 150 people will be there. Um, what would I say? I would say, I would say she has to be serious about listening to every every stakeholder group in Hong Kong um, and taking all of their views uh, as seriously as they each deserve, and not treating them with disproportionate importance. Um, so not not putting the concerns of the business elite, for example, above those of, of the Hong Kong working classes mm. um, or middle classes. And she has to be serious about listening to them, um, taking their views and thoughts and concerns on board, and then act- actually building a a genuine plan that addresses all of these concerns. Mm. Um, um, is, is any of that going to happen, do you think? What happens next? No, I don't think any of that will happen. I mean, I think, look, let's be, I think let's be a, a little bit charitable towards our beleaguered leader. 
Um, don't, she... tell me, don't tell me you're starting to feel sorry for her. <laughs> don't believe that for a second. Uh, no, I, I, no, no, I, would, I wouldn't. I would definitely not say that on a podcast. Um, I do feel a bit sorry for the ISD, by the way, because I think they are really stuck in a difficult situation mm. and they are probably more used to you know, fire safety campaigns and things like that. Yeah, maybe a bit out uh, of their depth here. Yeah, but, but I suppose this is part of the job description, isn't it? You just don't think it's ever going to happen. Mm. Um, back to Carrie Lamb. This plan to meet with 150 randomly selected citizens for community dialogue is is a good plan. I mean, it's better than nothing. It's better than not listening. And it's better than just condemning everyone. Um, but the breakdown in trust is is so profound here that no one believes it's a genuine attempt to get to the root cause of Hong Kong's problems mm. um, and to actually diffuse the unrest that has gripped this city. Uh, and for that, unfortunately, uh, Carrie Lam and her government have to take the lion's share, if not all of the blame, um, because they have essentially, uh, you know, created this situation where trust has broken down yeah and rebuilding that is not going to happen with a 72 page legal document is it? no but at least she she gets to play queen elizabeth stadium so. yeah true i mean you'd love to do that <laughs> i'd like more than 150 people <laughs> yeah, please let there be please like, let it be a full like, stadium when you finally do your big gig yeah how it will be. So just <laughs> <laughs> finally, finally, as I said at the beginning, the story's been picked up around the world, including you doing your bit representing the Homes Report on the BBC, which is pretty cool. Do you prefer asking the questions or being a pundit? What's it like being on the other end? Um, so I want to ask you, actually, have you ever had a situation where you've been interviewed in any... I've been on the radio. I used to do. Right. I used to be like one of the Jeremy Vine shows regular pundits. Oh, wow. But then that I was. Too, cool. I was too. I used to sit on the fence too much. Which would not surprise you in the slightest. I wasn't extreme enough in any of my views, uh, so they, right. they cancelled yeah. me. But now I did. I have done a bit of radio, but not TV. Yeah. I. I don't mind being interviewed in general, actually, because, you know, you know this uh, as well as anyone. When you're asking the questions, you do have to do research. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, when you're yeah. answering them, I don't know, it definitely feels like it's, it's less hard work. Um, but having said that, uh, you certainly can't, I don't think you can treat a BBC interview in, in that kind of cavalier manner. Um, so I did prepare myself. I don't remember anything about it. Uh, it it's all a blur. Um, it was nerve-wracking. Uh, it's my first time on on TV, uh, and and I mean I I will be surprised if it happens again. So probably my last. Um, and yeah, I suppose overall I'd have to say I prefer asking the questions. Yeah, you did a you? good job though. Well, you know, I thought you did a good job because you were very calm and measured in the way that you answered everything. You clearly had done your your prep, but yes, I think that kind of I'm too much of a control freak to kind of be on the receiving end of questions that I might not have absolute absolute control over. So I much prefer asking questions and, and kind of driving things. But I thought you yeah. did a great job. Thanks, yeah. I mean, I, I was quite lucky in that um, 
working in this industry, there were people I could ask beforehand for advice. Yes, there is that. We are surrounded by there media was... media relations and media training experts. There was no shortage of advice. Um, I'm sure. And actually, it was very good advice. Um, and so I think I should definitely um, shout out Matt Hartmel and Richard Fogg, who both helped a lot. Shout out to Cartmel and Foggy. Well done, guys. Yeah. You, you prepped him well for the job. Uh, right, well, I'm yeah, going to let... They appear to know what they're doing. They know which... what they're doing. It's reassuring, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, I mean, that was a... I don't know if I'd say it was a surprise, but <laughs> it's, it's, it was reaffirming, reassuring. Oh, my goodness. Yes, well, knowing them both, uh, extremely well I can see that might have been a surprise um, I'm going to let you go because obviously Carrie's on the other line uh, <laughs> desperate, desperate for your, for your counsel um, thank you very much for joining me today it's lovely to chat through and uh, obviously no, no end in sight for this so I'm sure we'll talk again alright cool thanks Maya you've been listening to the Echo Chamber Brought to you by The Homes Report and produced by Marketeers. Sponsored by The Bullet Group, putting you in tomorrow's conversations today.